Traditional broadcast platforms such as TV and radio continue to be important for content consumption and advertising. The growth of on-demand content and streaming platforms like Netflix, Showmax, Amazon Prime, Apple TV and others may have adverse effects on advertising. In this episode, I'm joined by Melissa Etri, who is a marketing and digital communications specialist. She has held many commercial, strategic and creative positions for the past 24 years at agencies and top brands. Ogilvy, Cerebra, 5FM and L'Oreal are among some of the organizations that Melissa was part of in various executive, PR and creative strategy positions. What impact will the growth of on-demand streaming services that mostly do not carry any commercials have on advertising? As more people gain access to connected devices, they also tend to avoid unsolicited brand messaging. In the advent of the pandemic, Melissa has observed that brands with a more purpose-led approach to their storytelling have been more compelling. We also talk about the importance of inclusive collaboration in influencer marketing, where agencies, brands and influencers can work effectively. We're definitely seeing a lot more brands kind of be interested in purpose-led kind of content or content that has some sort of social mission attached to it. And I think all of us will have kind of seen that over the past couple of months, the past two years at least. Melissa Etri shares some insights on how brands and agencies can rethink their communication and advertising initiatives. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Lead Creative where we talk to the creative minds behind some of the leading brands, businesses, organizations, and top ideas that we all love. Our chats range from building brands, conceptualizing new products, strategy, and building businesses. I'm your host, Monges Mtati. Melissa, we finally get to talk. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Mongezi. It's been a while. Absolutely, it has. It has. And I mean, you've been very busy doing a lot in the industry for the past couple of years. And I hope we are able to distill some of those insights in this conversation today. Cool. Sounds good. I mean, you've seen the industry evolve from adopting digital as the new kid on the block to now having some brands adopt a digital first approach, as it were, or as some brands kind of like to put it. How has this changed brand communication, especially during? the pandemic? I think during the pandemic, we obviously have seen uh, the rise in a lot of kind of digital media specifically. I mean, podcasts have been quite interesting because I think people have been using, trying to find different ways to spend their time in quite a, a personal kind of experiential way. You'll find that, you know, your Netflixes, your Showmax would have gone through the roof during this time as well, just because, you know, people I think were trying to, as hard as possible, kind of take some time out and just veg in front of the, the TV, I suppose, and try and escape for a little while. We've seen some quite a few changes, I suppose, in terms of how brands were able to produce new content uh, or were not able to produce new content. Um, and then also how we kind of saw shifts in, in terms of the influencer landscape as well, which was quite interesting. I'd like to talk about the influencer landscape a little bit more um, in this conversation a bit later on. I think the first thing that I'd like to kind of start with is how has this rise of on-demand content and streaming services shooting through the roof accelerated trends in advertising or changed them in some way? 
Well, I mean, I'm guessing, I mean, I don't, I don't have the numbers. I'm not a terribly great stats person. Mm. Um, but, you know, from what we can see, I think anything that brands are trying to do at the moment is obviously trying to attract uh, your consumer's attention. So mm. we've got a limited amount of kind of hours in the day. We start thinking quite carefully about where we're going to place our attention and who gets that and who doesn't. Uh, and I think, you know, with the rise of kind of services that people are paying for, like Netflix, like uh, mm. Showmax, um, you know, there's kind of a myriad others, but people are, are then becoming less exposed to advertising, I suppose. Absolutely. And, and that and was my next point. Yeah. What it means is, is that whatever content you're producing as a brand really needs to be compelling. It really needs something that someone's going to spend 30 seconds with, uh, three minutes with, half an hour with, or whatever you're producing. Yes. And I think that's really become the challenge. So we're no longer, and, and this is also, I want to be clear, like we're, we're just talking kind of, when I'm talking like this, we're talking about people who have access to digital, people who have, ac yes. have access to on-demand, which a large percentage of our population still do not. So we can't discount the traditional kind of terrestrial, um, you know, kind of public service broadcasters. Um, we can't discount those from the conversation. And I think advertising still plays a great role in that and continues to grow um, purely because we have such massive audiences on these huge kind of programs. But I do think that what it means is, is that uh, advertisers are starting, hopefully, to do kind of less but do better. And really kind of focus on, on which niches that they want to put their content into. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we know that, you know, broadcast is still massive across Africa, especially radio. And there's still going to be a lot of, I guess, growth in that. What I'm also interested in is as we gain more access to more connected devices and we are seeing, you know, accelerated growth in the middle classes, more and more people, as you've rightfully said, will see less and less traditional kind of advertising. What does this mean for brands though, especially within the middle classes who have the spending power and the, you know, disposable income? I think for brands, it means that you, your, your whatever message you're trying to get through has got to be, uh, has really got to kind of cut through the clutter and, and grab people's attention quite quickly. So it kind of changes the, in some aspects, it changes the traditional storytelling arc that we've thought about in terms of, you know, if you look at a, a typical kind of advertising studio and the way that we would tell a TVC story, for example, as you would start with a story, you know, there'd be some interesting shots, some interesting scenery, and then bam, at the end, oh my gosh, it's an X brand. Yes. Um, whereas I think with the attention kind of changes that we've seen in digital, you're obviously having to kind of almost lead with, this is something to do with X brand. And you'll yeah. now, you know, kind of watch the rest. So the storytelling arc completely, completely shifts. And I, I really think that, um, we're starting to see, you know, a lot of brands who refuse uh, or who will not kind of develop anything that's over six seconds. Um, and what it's meaning is, is that, you know, creatives are having to think quite differently about how we kind of put messages out there. And how do we strategically then manage to reach as many different niches, as many different audiences as possible? So it becomes, although it's about, on the one hand, we're saying, Let's do less, but do better and tell some interesting kind of stories in shorter form content. But also on the other side of that, we can give a hundred kind of customized messages to a hundred different audiences within six to eight, six to 10 seconds. You've said, you've said a couple of things that I, that I find very interesting. And I've also been, you know, observing a few things that have been, that are happening within the advertising space. And I think the one, which you've, as you've just put it, is tell 
more stories to kind of more audiences on more platforms, right? So, so then it means, you know, brand X or this bank can no longer have the same 30 second spot that they have on TV and maybe um, have a 15 second off that 30 second spots on social media, for instance, because the platforms have changed so rapidly and the audiences also have changed so rapidly as well as their attention span. Does this mean brands will now have to spend more you know, on their storytelling as well as their agencies? I think where you start spending more potentially is you start spending more in, in really investigating the right audiences and strategically kind of formulating your messages for those different audiences. I think you touch on there, what you're saying is I think we need to move away from assuming that everyone likes the same thing and assuming that everyone consumes content in the same way. Um, yeah. And what's the beauty of digital is that it gives us the ability to reach many different audiences in many different ways through many different mediums. So, you know, I think that there's a way of kind of, I think those massive, huge kind of budgets being put into single TVCs is now starting to be kind of spread over a, a broader audience and a, a different kind of form of storytelling and really kind of scientifically targeted by, you know, the media kind of uh, gurus. And really, then you're seeing a better, I would think, a better return on investment, you know, in terms of can you track that to purchase? Yeah. And you actually, it becomes less about, oh, you know, we got a billion impressions. It becomes more about, you know, we showed 10 people this advert and eight out of 10 bought, for example, I think. And that becomes more of a, it means that you, you get a better sense of what's actually working and which audiences it's actually working with. Hmm. And and in what medium, you know, oh, people are responding better to video. People are responding better to just quick text updates. People like GIFs, you know, yeah. whatever it may be. So then the data aspects and the data collection aspects and insights from that data is going to be even more important. I think smart marketers really, you know, are, are people who want to see the full circle. So you put out a piece of content to sell X, Y, and Z product. You show it to, um, you know, the certain kinds of people to a specific audience. And then what does that audience actually do with it? That's the beauty of digital, right? I mean, that's a lot of, that's a reason why a lot of us moved into, I moved into digital because as a traditional marketer, sometimes I found it quite uh quite frustrating that I couldn't tell who was actually interacting with my campaigns. So yes. I was putting out print, I was putting out TV, I was putting out radio. And please, I'm not dissing any of those mediums because I think the full marketing mix is essential. Hmm. But what became compelling about digital was that I was able to, to kind of track uh, which people were looking at what and which niche audiences were really interested in, in what kind of messages. Um, that for me is the most exciting thing. So one of the things you you, um, you said there, Melissa, um, is that you know, the messaging has to be almost front and center and you have to get your messaging out up front almost as a brand. So there's no more, you know, you, there's no more time to have a long message and have your big bang at the end, which is, uh, which I absolutely agree with. And a lot of it is becoming short form content. Um, but during the pandemic though, um, and it's not just during the pandemic, and I don't think it's the pandemic that caused this, but I've also been seeing longer form brand stories on digital that are also compelling to watch, a lot more compelling than the 30 second spots. And some were like 90 seconds, some closer to two minutes where brands are taking, I guess, more risk and they are showing longer form story content is this also a trend that is growing is this should we be expecting more of this as well 
I think the pandemic is a weird anomaly. I mean, got on so many levels, but in terms of marketing, um, I think I would hazard a guess. And I know that the pieces of content that I saw were quite emotive. It was really kind of quite passionate uh, storytelling that made me feel something. And I would hazard a guess that that, that is largely because during the pandemic, um, well, we're still in it, but I mean, in the, in the initial stages specifically and, and in, in the thick of it, we were all just looking for something that was anything other than Corona. Like yes. anything other than, I just, I was so sick and tired of, of everything in the news was just that. So anything that came through that had a good news story or a story of hope or a story of resilience or a story of overcoming the odds, then I was into that. And I think many people kind of were. And I think that's why a lot of those stories really gained a lot of traction during that period, because the zeitgeist was such that we were just being fed kind of COVID-related news and stories and despair and awfulness. And we were exhausted by that. And we were exhausted by what we were seeing in the media. And also we were exhausted at home. It was difficult. Uh, It was difficult at work. It was difficult to adjust and it was difficult at home. So I think any content that came through that was that kind of inspirational kind of messaging is something that that's kind of cut through. I haven't like, I mean, I haven't done the research. I haven't done the numbers, but I'd hazard a guess that that's probably what was happening there. Now, will that continue? I mean, there's a possibility and there's still, you know, some brands that are releasing quite nice kind of longer form. And I mean, when we're talking about longer form, we're talking about two to three minutes, Yeah. Um, which is really scary because longer form just a couple of years ago would have been 10 minutes. But I think that we are seeing, uh, I think we, we will see more brands kind of investing in that. But there is quite a difference in terms of how you do need to tell those stories because waiting for the, you know, the big reveal at the end and hoping that your audience has gone on that journey with you is sometimes uh, slightly risky. But this is interesting because it goes back to, I guess, you know, a lot of the, the, the basics of what great advertising is from the very beginning, that it should be emotive, it should be compelling, you know, it should grab the viewer and the audience. So where then did we lose it to have gone 360 back to those basics because I think- of the pandemic? I suppose uh, the pandemic really affected everything. It, it affected the mood. It affected people's appetite for content. And I think it's, uh, we'll see in a couple of years' time, I think it's, it really is an anomaly in terms of traditional um, kind of the marketing kind of approach would have been changed and structured and adapted um, so much during this time period. I think also a lot of a lot of brands have really just been experimenting with how to kind of get their messages through over the past couple of years and how to really kind of tell stories differently. And not everything needs to be beautifully produced and emotive and passionate and have a huge story. You know, retail advertising works just as well, you know, for the the right kind of reasons. I mean, you would have bought something based on an advert kind of online, which didn't necessarily look amazing, but actually is what you needed at the right time. So there's always kind of, you know, there's a need for everything in the mix. Yeah. So one of the things, I mean, that you do a lot on a daily basis, of course, is to engage and interact a lot with brands. Have you noticed any changes in the past couple of months, again, with the rise of, you know, of on-demand content where brands either want to be, to create more compelling stories, different kinds of stories, or are concerned about perhaps the rise of streaming platforms where you know, I now choose what I watch and where I consume my content, there's 
little to no advertising? Um, I think, you know, we're definitely seeing a lot more brands kind of be interested in purpose-led kind of content or content that has some sort of social mission attached to it. And I think all of us will have kind of seen that over the past couple of months, the past uh, past two years at least. It's weird. As I talk to you, I am realizing that the past few months is a complete, it's completely different to anything else. You know, to kind of uh, talk about trends based on the last couple of months feels pretty weird. Yes. Uh, unless they're kind of pandemic specific marketing trends. But um, that being said, I think there are, yeah, there are a lot more brands who I think it's becoming part of their DNA. It's becoming part of the structure of how they do business. It's the cost of doing business is to make sure that you're putting something back. So what are you investing on a social level? What stories are you telling which are uplifting? And a lot of those briefs uh, started to come through over the past year and some specifically within the past couple of months where there really is a need to kind of show not a brand, a, a brand kind of a brand do um, Unilever would call it a brand do, but something where you, you actively kind of show what are you doing and you tell those stories. And part of, you know, the content mix is those stories and something, there's a purpose kind of to it. But also I think that there really, there needs to be with those kind of, with any kind of campaign at the moment, if you're running on digital and on traditional, you need to have, a really solid plan in terms of what content you're putting out there and when, uh, in terms of different lengths, different durations, uh, you know, moving through a, a, an awareness kind of funnel. There are all these different approaches that I think a lot more marketers are becoming savvy in, are therefore, you know, starting to brief agencies differently. And I mean, I've also noted that brands, I think, are becoming smarter and smarter with their programmatic buying and their ability to target people based on the on user behavior as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that based on user demographics, based on user behavior, based on user interests, based on times of day, based on recent kind of searches or interests or the pages that you like or whatever it is. And I think if used for good, that becomes quite interesting in terms of how you can actually get real return on investment um, and have your money spent wisely. And I think it also, you know, when we talk about that, we also, to, to your point of kind of on-demand services, I mean, you know, that old kind of, se- um, the, the thing in terms of second screening does become mm. quite important. So you'll yes. see, you know, when a lot of these, uh, but that's also important in terms of traditional TV, like, you know, in terms of Date My Family, if you look at the way that Twitter blows up during that, you know, and how advertisers can take advantage of that, it becomes quite interesting. But then you're having to really kind of plan contextual messaging that kind of lands during that show on social, for example, and context is important there. And I think similarly with on-demand kind of viewing, you know, but it's difficult to get a sense of what, you can get a sense of the latest releases in terms of, you know, what everyone's kind of watching at a given time compared, you know, when you look at what drops on Netflix and Showmax, for example, locally. And you can try and tap into that contextually in terms of your ads if people are second screening. So yeah, there's there's all different kind of aspects in terms of how do you reach those different audiences in a much more scientific way than we've ever had kind of open to us before. You've seen, you know, the growth of digital marketing in South Africa and Africa in the main, you know, from the first uh, few digital marketing agencies, you know, back in, I suppose, 2007, 2008 in South Africa, when social media was just, again, a new kid on the block, as I said earlier in your introduction. But one of the other things that you've been able to do is work 
across the spectrum from digital to traditional to public relations and all of these other spaces, right? So how would you say influencer marketing has changed or at least digital has changed in how brands have been adopting it back then versus how they are adopting it now and and also the collaborations that you are able to strike with influencers you know in this time i think that the majority i think if we if we're still working with brands and we're still referring to digital as the new you know new modern marketing or a new way of marketing then that's problematic i think it's sure. part of the marketing mix now Yes. I think there are very few brands locally, and there are local brands who can probably, you know, who can get away with kind of not doing digital marketing because their their share of voice is so huge and they're top of mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even those brands are starting to employ digital marketing uh, in the interests of, like I said before, doing some purpose-led kind of work or yes. or kind of telling different stories. Uh, the kind of Influence is something which is quite interesting. And I think uh, influence has obviously always existed. There are people around you. There are people around all of us who hold kind of real life influence and who uh, hook us up with different people who are able, who know the latest products, the best kind of products to buy in, in whatever kind of niches. And you've always found that by your real life kind of network. Obviously, digital has just kind of exploded the, the influence network in terms of giving it a lot more kind of, you know, reach. But I think we are definitely seeing kind of a move towards specialist kind of influences, micro influences, niche influences, whatever you want to call them. And people who really know what's happening, any specific kind of uh, topic. Uh, and I think that for me is quite interesting because then you can start really kind of tracking sales based on that. I think uh, locally, I think uh, food kind of influences have always been ahead of the, the game in terms of that. So food influences that are working with big brands have specific kind of UTM codes that are linked to, you know, kind of websites and and kind of promote specific uh, purchases. And I think more and more, the, the onus is going to be on influencers to make sure that they're aligning with the right brands uh, and that they're reporting correctly. And the onus is going to be on brands to start uh, using slightly different influences across the mix and to start investigating who are the more kind of niche influencers who hold real kind of credibility in specific areas. I've always said, you know, if I want to buy a red bicycle, for example, I want to speak to somebody and get uh, knowledge from somebody who's absolutely mad about red bicycles and knows everything about. Um, And that kind of knowledge becomes more important. And what that means is that you're able to then collaborate with the right kind of influences to really kind of get a very strong and simple message across from a brand point of view. And collaboration is key here because I think that too many brands potentially still tell influencers what to do when we should actually be kind of having a face-to-face or a well, face-to-face, that's ironic in this day and age. Um, <laughs> but we should be having a conversation around kind of, you know, what do you think is going to work best for your audience? What do you know about this product? What kind of content would you like to make? And let's make that together. So collaboration, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a really important kind of factor to consider going forward. When working with uh, creators, influencers, talent, experts, gatekeepers, whoever they are. How important is this? aspect of collaboration especially within brand conversations because more often than not brands have a certain or specific message that they want to get out there in a specific way uh, more often than not right so how important is that sense of collaboration where an influencer 
generally get their message out in a particular way and more so interested in in various things i mean i'm, I'm glad you mentioned the example of a red bicycle right so let's use a red bicycle example but i'm a brand fanatic of let's say merida or bmc right for argument's sake and we know that this influencer has you know an interest in a certain brand of bike um and that's the one that they kind of follow but you want them to try out this merida or this bmc brand of bike how do you then get you know authentic messaging where it might potentially be negative because this influencer even though they're an influencer in a particular space or a niche are also more often than not interested in a particular or specific brand. We all tend to have our own brand leanings. I think that there is, so there has to be kind of uh, agreements and understandings on both sides. And it's either PR or reviews, or it's paid for influencer partnerships. And if it's a paid for influencer partnership, I've got to then potentially treat that as, as advertorial. As old school, if we would link it back to advertorial. So I would then work with an influencer who I see as a media channel uh, or a media partner. Uh, we would kind of discuss how is this going to look? What does this kind of say? Uh, what are you comfortable kind of with? Uh, are you comfortable putting this in your, I'm doing inverted commas, publication? Therefore, let's make a deal and I'll pay you 5,000 Rand for that. I can't believe we're talking about bikes. Like it's the last thing I know about. Um, <laughs> if I want you to to kind of try a Merida bike, for example, and you're kind of loyal to another bike, then it's, you're going to agree that, yes, you'll take money to kind of talk about Merida bikes or no, you're not going to take money to talk about Merida bikes, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't mind trying it. But then the understanding is you're going to review that accordingly. Honestly um, and authentically. Honestly and authentically, which, which then falls under a public relations kind of sponsorship review kind of aspect for me. Um, because you can only, you can't guarantee good coverage on something that you're not paying for. It's the same as, you know, it's, which is why advertorial exists versus kind of press releases. That's the only any, way I can kind sure. of explain the difference between the two, I guess. Have you seen any brands doing it in a interesting, compelling ways? This influencer collaboration think, um, aspect. I really, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of calling out uh, specific brands because I think everyone in every kind of niche has yeah, different, yeah. really good examples. But I think anyone who is actively allowing influencers to do what they do best, you know, the, the, some of the, the more powerful partnerships that I see are definitely people who have specific kind of skills or talents in an area that a brand does not and that an agency does not. And when they all come together and they kind of say, let's kind of partner and create the following kind of content, that's when it becomes really interesting um, because it, it holds a kind of genuine aspect. Mm -hmm. And it means that influencers really enjoy working on that work because it's the kind of work that they like doing anyway. And that's the reason that they are influencers. Um, and I think that for me is just all around the collaboration process instead of brands and agencies just saying, hey, you will do X, Y and Z, because that just doesn't, it seems to lose, you know, a sense of credibility. Yeah. This is why this becomes quite tricky to talk about, because there are so many kind of areas, niche areas of interest, uh, which, you know, aren't kind of massive, massive followings or stuff that everyone is kind of interested in. And I think anyone that's tapping into those really interesting niches, that's really, you know, kind of clever work.
In one of your earlier points, you mentioned that, you know, during the pandemic, brands that have almost won audiences' attention are ones that have had purpose-led type of long-form content, uh, especially on digital. Are there any particular industries that you've noticed are doing it kind of better than others? I think, again, without necessarily going into brands, are the banks doing it better than fashion brands or are, you know, like the telecommunications industry doing it better than whoever else? Who's creating compelling long-form content? What industries, what sectors have you noticed? I think it comes down to anyone who's able to um, honestly and authentically link their brand to a purpose or a social need, where the, the link is an easy one to understand. So there's a lot of kind of brands who are doing interesting work in the gender-based violence space, for example. Mm, Yeah, There's brands who are doing work in the LGBTQIA kind of space in terms of aligning themselves with with those kind of causes and are able to do so in a way that doesn't just feel like lip service. And then other brands are really telling kind of stories of a kind of smaller, there's a lot of women, uh, uh, brands doing nice work in the women empowerment space. And then other brands just telling stories that are of people who overcame the odds. So you'll often find, I suppose, the big sporting brands have always kind of been in this space because it's quite natural to tell stories of kind of overcoming adversity or, you know, pushing yourself beyond a limit. There are brands uh, globally, I suppose, like Patagonia, who've been linked with kind of doing good for the environment for, for years and years. And that's been part of their DNA. We did, uh, I mean, you know, I can mention brands that we've worked on, for example. So we did some good work, I think, with um, Joko for gender-based violence. Yeah. Uh, there's been work that's been done. Everyone knows about the work that's been done for Calling Black Label with gender-based violence over the years. And then uh, most recently, there's some nice work kind of flighting on TV at the moment uh, and on digital for Sunlight, uh, really kind of showing uh, women, uh, up-and-coming women entrepreneurs in different mm-hmm. communities and how they're making a difference. And I think each of those kind of wherever you can align your brand to a purpose or a a message or an overwhelming kind of human interest story, when that link doesn't feel like it's forced. Yes. Um, And that's that's for me, it's it's about the authenticity around kind of selling those stories and how do you link that back to the brand? And then what does the brand do? What do they actually do? Like what, you know, essentially it's normally, what are they putting behind that from a money point of view, from an investment mm. point of view, from a training mm. point of view, uh, from an education point of view? So that becomes quite important. How should brands handle or react to some criticism that comes through? I mean, you mentioned the, the gender-based violence um, space or at least some brands that are playing there, right? So, and in some instances, some brands or some categories of brands are criticized for almost not being the cause, but almost being contributors to certain negative things that are happening in society. How should brands react to or handle those kinds of situations? Because it becomes, I mean, I'm sure it's it's challenging from both ends, from the end of the brand wanting to make a difference in a specific space or area that, that the brand feels needs a change. And also from the other side of people feeling as though this brand is a contributor in the space. How should, I guess, the brand handle it when that happens? I think that uh, you'll find, you know, a lot of those campaigns take a hell of a long time to put together. 
Mm. Um, I think that those questions need to be uh, answered and ready to be answered up front. So there's a, a pre-launch kind of crisis comes planning uh, situation that needs to be bedded down um, because those questions are valid. Um, and there's both sides to the kind of story. So, you know, you need to anticipate the questions where people are saying, hey, as producers of X, you guys are really contributing to the problem of whatever it is. Yes. And, you know, this is like it feels and you need to be able to answer that. And I think it is really kind of brave of brands to stand up and say, hey, you know what? We know. Mm. We know that this is happening. But because we know that this is happening, we're not going to ignore it. We're going to say, cool, we're going to do a campaign and we're going to actively try and educate and help people to do things differently. So that's where you really have to work with marketers and with uh, brand custodians who are very brave and who are willing to take risks and who are willing to not kind of sweep stuff under the carpet. Uh, and that's critically important. You can only, you know, the work is only as good as the client kind of uh, allows you to be often. And um, it takes every single piece of good work that you see out there, every single yeah. piece of, of work which is slightly controversial is, is there because, you know, a client said, okay, cool, I'm willing to take the risk with you. Let's partner on this and let's actually mm -hmm. do something that, that we believe makes a difference. So collaboration also comes into play quite a bit there. 100%. I think the relationship between client and agency is critical. Uh, you know, good work, work that makes a difference, work that has some sort of an impact can only happen when when those two parties are really kind of talking in an honest way and are both aware of the risks and are not scared to kind of attack that head on. And you'll find a, a lot of the, the cause kind of a purpose-led social mission work is usually a three-year kind of plan mm. uh, where you see different interventions kind of roll on from one year to the next and where where things kind of where that just becomes something that, that brands are kind of then ultimately associated with. I think a lot of those briefs land in an agency and it's like, wow, how on earth are we going to be able to crack this? Yeah. And when you do, it then becomes really satisfying in terms of people then just, you know, there, there becomes that you can have an honest and open debate about things. Hmm. And I think that's what smart brands, what brands that are, are willing to take risks Brands that are willing to kind of celebrate uh, different points of view, I think those are bringing some really interesting and uh, important conversations into the mix. I think that's another area that we absolutely need to, yeah, need to discuss in a lot more detail. This this thing of collaboration and the trust that comes with that collaboration. I mean, in one of the um, episodes when I spoke to. Colin Makubela, he noted that sometimes it's a bit of a long-term relationship between agency and client that builds that trust and enables these kinds of um, innovations and these kinds of compelling campaigns that change mindsets to come alive. 100%. It's about the relationship and the, the time that it takes to build that. Because what also happens over that time or what, 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 what I'm seeing starting to happen with a lot of brands out there is that you can see that obviously clients are giving a little bit more, um, more leeway in, in, in terms of their briefing up front. So they're briefing slightly differently. Uh, whereas years ago, we used to all brief, you know, based on a chase list that a media agency would kind of provide. And then the brief would be, I would like a 60 second uh, TV commercial. 
Uh, whereas now, I think you've got brave marketers, marketers who are thinking differently, who think in a modern kind of way, who are just saying, I want to encourage people to do X, Y, and Z, or I want to change X, Y, and Z. How do we best do that? Which goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about in terms of how do you actively get people's attention for a part of the day and hold that in order to try and make a difference in, in some respect. And that's not always a TVC or, or a radio spot, for the example, or a social campaign. Yeah. Uh, it's about, so it's about flipping it slightly. And then, uh, you know, agency kind of working with media company to try and figure out how best to bring that to life. Hmm. And now that we've done the whole, the 360 back to the beginning, um, thank Wasn't you. Wasn't that good how I did that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> no, thanks, Melissa, for making the time. It was an absolute honor to have you on the show. Thanks, Mongezi. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with a friend or anyone who might like it. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is also hosted on iafrican.com forward slash radio. You can find me and more of my content on mongezi.com. Mm-hmm.